1: There's been
2: one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up, and holding that trophy up here. The prime
1: thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football.
3: You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic
4: Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on The Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I am Jimmy Durkin. Joined as always by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, Ted Wynn. the Raiders. They're seven and seven. They pulled it out. They survived against the Browns on Monday afternoon. Traditional Monday afternoon football that we all have come to know and love. But uh now they face the Denver Broncos at home on Sunday. Uh, likely facing Drew Locke, their backup quarterback, Deshaun's favorite quarterback of all time. And, you know, they are relevant in December. That was Rich Passaccia's quote, right, on on Tuesday. We're happy to be relevant in December. Um, Goes right along there, rolls off the tongue like just win baby and all that. Uh, Relevant in December. And, I mean, he's right. They have a chance, as convoluted as it is. There are 13 teams, we've said often, that have at least seven wins. They are among those four teams stacked there at 7-7. Seven and seven. They can beat the Broncos. Then they got to go on the road to Indy, which is obviously looking like a really tough game at this point. And you know maybe set it up to where that a finale against the Chargers means something. But uh, how realistic do we view the Raiders as being in
1: the playoff picture right now with three games to go? Well, I think it's going to be tough to win this weekend. I think uh, obviously the Broncos are not a great team, but you look at this offense the Raiders have had. I think you, you take away the Cowboys game. The last six games, you're averaging 14 points a game. So I'm not sure if we've seen any like, fix- fixable signs that we've seen recently, That things that give us hope to have more production on offense. So I think this week is is, uh, is tough, let alone the last three. Practice obviously hasn't happened yet today, but uh,
5: you know, if Darren Waller is able to return this week, that would, I think, change things uh, just for the offense as a whole, even though it wasn't great even when he was was out there um, at, at times after the bye. But, you know, it's not very likely. I don't know. On a scale of one to ten, maybe I put it like a a two or a three. Even though I I think they'll kind of spoil it, I I think they'll end up winning this week. But I think that Colts matchup on the road, given the type of team they are, I know know they just slowed down, you know, Nick Chubb and then the Browns rushing attack. But Jonathan Taylor just playing at another level. He's arguably the MVP of the league this year. And I think Carson Wentz is probably better than than Nick Mullins. So that's the one that is kind of hard to really see them getting past. But, you know, we would I, was, I would have said that about the Cowboys game as well. So, so you never really know. But I feel like that game is going to end up being, you know, the roadblock to them winning out, which is what they have to do. Given how congested the AFC is and how many, I wouldn't say good teams, but how many, you know, 500 and above teams there are. I, I just don't see a, a world where a non-win team is getting into the playoffs this year. So they have to win out. That's the starting point. And that Colts matchup is, is what holds me back from saying it's, it's realistic.
0: You know, obviously the two division games, you, you know, you always stand a chance in a division game just because of the familiarity. And obviously the Broncos are a pretty flawed team, but I mean their defense has been pretty lights out since that Cowboys game. With the Colts, it's uh, on the road, just watching the way their their defense played against uh, New England and, and the way they could run the ball. It's it's tough. I mean, the only way is maybe if Carson Wentz has a, a terrible game and throws three or four interceptions, it, it's possible. But it, it's a tough road ahead for for the Raiders. But I mean, at, at least they are, they're mathematically in it. You know, if they win out, they have a good chance. But yeah, they need a lot of things to break their way just based on the performance we've
5: seen so far. And I will I will shoot the Raiders a little bit of bail just because, like back when when Gruden resigned, like I didn't think that they would be relevant in December to kind of call back to what Massaia said. Like I, I thought I thought they were cooked. Like I thought the season was going to go off the rails, and that's before obviously you know what happened with Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett and, and all the other stuff that's going on this season, and so. They're better off at this point than I thought they were going to be when the whole Gruden situation happened. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how much better that makes Mark Davis feel or our fans feel about, you know, potentially not making the playoffs again this year, but um, I, I think they are kind of overachieving in, in, in the broad scope of things.
4: Yeah, you know, we talk about the offense and how stagnant they've been, and you know, maybe this is the week, uh, I mean, that they can finally come alive because the Broncos are a team that they have loved seeing. You look at the last two years, they've won three straight against the Broncos. 34 points, 32 points, 37 points. You remember last year when Drew Lock came into Allegiant Stadium and threw four interceptions, and you know, and the Raiders, a team that couldn't get any turnovers, couldn't force turnovers. All of a sudden, they, their turnovers causing issues were solved, and, and really that ended up being more of a, a Drew Lock issue. But I mean, they have played really well whenever they've seen the Denver Broncos, and we know the Broncos really kind of sense that game, have tightened down on defense. um... They're, the I think, second in the league in scoring defense, and um, they've been really good over the last eight games. But the Raiders, for whatever reason, have really enjoyed going up against that team. They've done well against the Vic Fangio defense there. So maybe this is just whatever reason, when they see Denver, they they play well, and, and maybe that is kind of the spark that they need.
1: Yeah, maybe they take advantage of the home crowd for once. Have them done really well home this year, but maybe this is a turning point for them. But um, yeah, I think definitely like you guys said, there's hope. There wasn't I I hadn't had that much hope two weeks ago, so I think um, you you have a chance. That's all you can ask for this time of year is a chance.
5: It's hard to compare it to even the, the first Broncos matchup this season because obviously the offense is much different for obvious reasons. Um, you know, I don't think that rules out them. You know, maybe having you know an explosive game. I think it would just have to be a result of another one of those kind of Drew-like games where. they benefit from from interceptions or fumbles or other turnovers and give them short fields and put them even though the red zone offense hasn't been good i think you know you get enough cracks at it um but with favorable field position you know they can break through it and put some points up on the board but in terms of their offense suddenly having an explosion with the Broncos defense playing the way it is, I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, Drew Locke, you know, he, he's my Mizzou guy, but he loves giving the ball to the other team. So there's a, a pretty good chance that. And the Raiders have been like okay at, at forcing turnovers this year. They haven't been great. I, th- I would say they've been better than last year. And so, you know, they had a few drop picks here and there and things of that nature. But I, I think the defense is definitely capable of, of kind of swinging the tide and, and maybe setting the offense up to having some, some easier fields to work with. I wonder if.
0: The Raiders will consider benching Fasan, I mean, and he, you know, he was good early on, but he he's really struggled lately. And one thing he really struggled with is is with size. I, you know, I think he has good feet, he has good speed, but he just struggles with. He's just a really kind of thinly framed corner, and Donovan Peoples Jones was just kind of pushing him around, and he's gonna have to deal with two bigger receivers in Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. With the Broncos, so I I wonder if they would consider a change there to you know maybe see what Trafant could do. But that's a really difficult matchup, and if he starts, I could see the Broncos really going after him with their their bigger receivers.
5: I just don't think they have the alternative. Just because I mean, when Trufant has been out there, he's been getting cooked too. So I don't know how much better he'd be. And I mean, Keyshawn Nixon looked okay at nickelback. I don't know if. You know, maybe if, if Nate Hobbs is able to come back from the reserve COVID list, Nate Hobbs can play outside corner if, if they need him to. So uh, I'm not sure if they want to take Nate, Nate Hobbs out of that impact position and nickelback. I guess it kind of depends what you use. Worse, having Face on the outside or having Nixon at nickelback um, in, in terms of maybe, you know, moving Hobbs outside. But I think that's really the only move they could do that would, that would probably make sense there.
1: Like Deshaun was saying about Waller coming back, I think I'd feel a lot more confident if I knew that um, Perriman or Hobbs are back for this game this weekend, so I think those guys are huge uh, impact guys for them on defense. Playing need at least one of those guys back. The yesterday because we, had, I mean,
5: we always asked about injuries on Monday, but uh, didn't have much clarity on, on Perriman either, who's been out for two games now since he's getting hurt against Washington with an ankle injury, which has been like a, a strangely common injury for the Raiders this year for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see today. I mean, like you know, they they could be be out there. Actually, I, I won't see because they. they turned off practice viewing for whatever f- abstract reason. But when, when injury reports come out, we'll, we'll see a pyramid or Waller were wall out there. So.
0: Did they ever say it was, it was at a high ankle sprain or was it medial? Uh, well, they they,
5: they don't give us that kind of <laughs> specific information. <laughs> Do
4: you think the Raiders are suddenly out here giving like specific diagnoses? We still don't know I mean, what Waller did. They, we still don't know what Nicholas Moreau did. Like Nicholas Moreau, like he's been out all year and they uh, just keeping everything a mystery. And, uh That's the Raiders, but you know, what can the Raiders? go into these last three games. But let's let's just say that we assume the Raiders are not going to make the playoffs. And it's probably the healthy assumption to take. Like, you know, I mean, for fans obviously, hold hope, hold out hope until it's lost, but um, if we take the healthy assumption that they're not going to make the playoffs, what do we want to see out of the last three games? Are there particular players we're kind of looking at? You know, Divine Diablo has obviously had an opportunity lately to uh to go in there and make some plays. Ted you kind of highlighted what he was able to do on that one third down stop. Is he a guy that that we kind of want to see if he if he's going to be able to to take that next step? And is somebody that the Raiders can rely on going into next season?
0: I want to see him matched up on on Noah Faint and see how he does in coverage against tight ends. I thought he had some good good coverage snaps against Travis Kelsey in that uh, that Chiefs game. Um, but you know, I, I, just rewatching the game, I, I thought he made some really big improvements in his ability to diagnose inside run concepts from Kansas City to to this Browns game. He made some really nice run stops. So, you know, I want to see him keep improving in that area. And, uh, you know, but, the you know, the thing that's going to separate him is can he cover tight ends and can he blanket tight ends? And, um, you know, he, he has a pretty good one in Noah Faint to go against in this Broncos game. So it'd be really encouraging to see him be able to to cover. And, you know, Koontz has barely got any snaps, but he has two sacks. So, uh, you know, and, and against Browns, he didn't play, obviously, because, uh they wanted bigger run defenders in there, but you know, I want to see him continue to get some pass rush snaps to see what he could do.
5: Yeah, I think it's all about the young guys, you know, both not just the rookies, but also, you know, guys like Jacobs that they have to make fifth-year option decisions on after this season. I mean, I think the veterans like Derek Carr and and Yannick Ngakwe, like we know who they are at this point in their career. But uh for the younger guys who are, who are sort of auditioning for the next coach, because if they don't make the playoffs, obviously they're gonna Hire a new coach, you know, seeing if, if they need to replace that position in a draft or go about in free agency or whatever it may be. So that'll be the intrigue from a fan perspective is just seeing uh, some of these recent draft picks, which they've had a lot of. You know, what are these guys made of when I guess they don't have anything to play for? But obviously every player still does when they're trying to make a living. So, so what do these guys look at, look like to, to close out the season against some pretty good competition? I mean, none of these three teams that they're going against are, are bad teams. like They're all good to, to play off contenders. So. Uh, I think this film will still be valuable, whether the, the Raiders are, are planning to make the playoffs or not.
1: If they lose this week, I think I want to see Leatherwood back at tackle. I think that would seem to be to be his future place. And uh, again, we don't know the coaching staff next year if Tom Cable's back or what, but I think he projects higher as a tackle than as a guard. I don't understand why he moved, and uh, they, gave him the best. they thought they'd give him the best chance to win now. But uh, I think the more reps you can get at the position you're drafted at is probably ideal for him. So I would give him reps the last two games at tackle if they lose on, on Sunday.
4: Yeah, Deshaun you mentioned Josh Jacobs right now, as we are 13 or what 14 games in? Derek Carr has a longer longest rush of the season. Than Josh Jacobs, if I'm Josh, I, I do not want to end the season that way. His longest carry 21 yards, you know, we've talked about it. He's not a home run hitter. Uh, the Raiders really haven't hit any home runs on the, on the ground this season. Their longest carry of the year, Marcus Mariota, 31 yards. Uh, it'd be nice to see Josh Jacobs show a little explosion. I mean, he just, he's, he's a guy that it's not like he's, you know, build this steady build and he's like constantly getting like eight, nine yards, a, a chunk. And he's not really hitting the home run. So it just, it'd be nice to see a little bit, something out of him the last few games, just to, to you know, at least give you some reason to think about it. I mean, I, I've been firm on it that, especially at the 10.2 that I, I'm, I'm declining that for the fifth year option. But I mean, you still want to know that you kind can go into his fourth year, kind of feeling like you have a guy who is going to be a good starting running back in the league. And I mean, at this point he's got 548 yards. He's obviously not likely going to get another thousand yard season, but, uh, yeah, show a little something from him uh, would be nice, and and don't let Derek Carr finish the year with a longer uh, longest rush of the season. That's, uh you can't allow that.
5: Yeah, I think it was Ben Baldwin, our our colleague. He posted this running back chart. It was like basically rushing yards over expectation and run blocking, and like on the run blocking scale, like the guy in last place was Josh Jacobs. So like, <laughs> I don't know, uh, you know, how much I can I can really jump on him for. For the season statistics, given how bad the blocking has been. Plus, he's been hurt and missing games and things like that, which is, a, I think that's the bigger issue with him for me is the durability. Like, do you think he can be healthy for an entire season or most of a season just because he hasn't done that so far throughout his career? When it comes to like his individual performance this year, like, I mean, re watching the, the coaches tape and all 22 and, and watching the linemen, like, there's not like these huge holes that he's missing or these lanes that he can run through. I mean, unless he's just going to be barrel over and you know, barreling over defensive linemen in the backfield and, and breaking off runs, like it's just not a, a ton of, you know, room for him to, to make a lot of plays out there, especially chunk plays. And so I think for me, like personally, like, you know, if he, if he has a couple of nice games in the season, obviously that, that's nice. But I think really when, when it comes to determining whether you're going to have Jacobs around or not is, is whether you believe he can be healthy and then be available, which which he hasn't so far in his career.
1: They are throwing him the ball a lot more this last month. Maybe he makes some plays uh, catching the ball and the yards after catch. But um, yeah, I agree, we need to see more out of Josh Jacobs. This last these last three weeks. When obviously the blocking is, is a factor, but still he got to overcome that. I think at some point, and uh, maybe is you with know, catching the ball, but he's got to make some plays. Uh, those last three games. All
4: right, let's take a closer look at this Broncos matchup. We're going to bring in the Athletics beat writer for the Denver Broncos, Nick Kosmider. All right, and now to talk a little bit more about the Denver Broncos, we've got Nick Kosmider here. He is our Broncos beat writer from The Athletic. Nick, how are you doing
2: today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me.
4: It's funny, when you look around the AFC, I mean, there's so many teams that we could say, oh, this team is having a similar season. Feels a lot like, you know, the Raiders here, and the Broncos are one of them. Obviously, they are among the four teams that are tied there at 7-7. Seven and seven. 13 teams in the AFC with at least seven wins. Yeah, 27 teams across the NFL are still in the playoff picture as we go into Week 16. But, I mean, it, similar to the Raiders, it's it's they're in the playoff picture, but are they really, right? Um, they're 13th place because they are the last of the teams in all those tiebreakers. What's the outlook in Denver right now? I mean, three games left. They're going into Sunday's game, likely with Drew Locke starting. Do they really feel like they're in it? How, how do you think Denver feels right now?
2: I think the players do, in, in part because, you know, this is the best season that they've had since 2016. Even though it doesn't feel like it with the fans, that's the case, right? Like they're they're in the playoff hunt in week 16. As small as their odds are right now, about 5 to 10%, depending on which probability model you look at, if they do win out, those odds will progressively get better each and every week. And so I, I think that's the way the team is looking at it. Now, with Drew Locke starting on Sunday that kind of throws a big wrench into all this because with Teddy Bridgewater, you know what you're going to get, right? You're going to run the ball. He's going to take care of it. You're going to play good defense and you're going to be in the game like that. That's just the way it's going to be with drew lock. You just don't know what you're going to get Sunday could be any number of things. It could be him, you know, making throws, leading touchdown drives, uh, you know, finding wide receivers who have been somehow invisible in this offense, or it could be him trying to do way too much in the red zone and turning the ball over. Uh, last time he played in Allegiant Stadium, he had four interceptions, and that was kind of the game that really, I think, sealed his fate in terms of not being the cemented starting quarterback this year. So I think there still is optimism for this team that that they can go and, and do it in the division. The odds of them winning three straight are, are low. That's happened rarely in Vic Fangio's era, but that's how they're viewing it, even if, the again, the Drew Locke thing just makes it such a wild card.
0: When I look at the Broncos' weapons, uh, I you know I really like their weapons coming into this season. You know I thought Tim Patrick, he
4: loves Tim Patrick. I, He's gonna. I get was a more big Tim
0: Patrick, Patrick fan coming into the season. Cortland Sutton was my you know my wide receiver one the year he was drafted. You know, obviously say Jerry Judy was highly rated by everyone. You know people were expecting big things from Noah Faint this year. This year the weapons have largely been invisible. Like like you said, like do you think that? these guys might've been a little overrated or, or you know, Tim Patrick got a, a new contract. So he, he, he's performed in certain games, but do you think these guys were a little overrated or do you think Bridgewater's conservatism is just, you know, has really hampered their, uh, their production?
2: I think it's a combination of a little bit of everything. I do think there was a little bit of, uh, of overrating, right? I mean, Cortland Sutton's coming back from an ACL injury. It's, it's rare that the the guy in the first season back from that, Is himself usually takes another full season until he's kind of back to what he was before we're still not seeing him kind of go up and and get balls but we're also not seeing bridgewater giving him a lot of chances to go do that and they just have a system where their margin for error is so thin that they're not getting chunk plays down the field and they're not really just giving their receivers a whole lot of a chance to go down and get them but it's also on those guys too i mean jerry judy he had four targets and no catches in the 15 10 loss to the Bengals last week and you go back and you look at the film and yeah, he's open a lot of times, but there's also times where he and his quarterbacks are, you know, on completely different pages. Um, and so with those situations, you always, you never know fully, like who, who was kind of the guy that was on the wrong, on the wrong script at that given, at that given play. But that's been kind of a common theme for Judy this season. And so it's, it's a situation where for one reason or another, they just can't get each one of these guys going. I mean, Corlin Sutton has 12 catches in the last seven games it's just not enough. They have not been able to get enough from their wide receivers. But the fact that George Payton handed extensions to both Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton last month, you know, to me, that says we are going to upgrade this quarterback quarterback position. We believe that we have the necessary weapons to go win. We believe these weapons are attractive to a quarterback, a veteran quarterback, potentially that we might pursue. And we just need that guy. We need the trigger man in there in order to take advantage of it. I think that's how They view it because certainly if these are going to be your guys and Sutton, Patrick, Fant, Judy, these guys are all locked up for next year and beyond. You got to get them the ball. And so that's that's going to be the thing to look for this offseason of, you know, what do they do at that quarterback spot? Because they have these weapons, but they just haven't been able to utilize them. When
4: you look at that defense, obviously there was high expectations for them coming into the season. And then they trade Von Miller, and it's it's felt like since that trade of Von Miller that the defense has really taken off. I mean, you look at the last eight games, and outside of really the one blip was the the Eagles game where they gave up 30 points. But the only other game outside of that where they've given up more than 20 was 22 to the Chiefs, and, and nobody was going to knock you for giving up 22 points to the Chiefs. So what what has this defense done to kind of settle in, and where where are they at right now?
2: Yeah, and in the 30 points they gave up to the Eagles, one of those was a defensive touchdown, and in the 22 they gave to the Chiefs, one of those was a defensive touchdown. So they played even better than the, the scoring average would suggest, and they've been the best scoring de- or one of the best scoring defenses in the league over the last, as you mentioned, eight games. I think it's attributed to a number of things. I mean, D- D- Vic Fangio is simply one of the best defensive play callers in football, and the longer guys play in his system, the more comfortable they get. They had new quarterbacks this year ronald darby was playing in the system for the first time he gets hurt too that that didn't help because when you go back and you look at it with this defense the period of time where the broncos lost the season was their four game losing streak in october right they lost to the ravens Steelers. of course that game against the raiders and then went to cleveland and, and lost uh, to, to case keenum and that really kind of torpedoed the season when you when you go back and look at it and in that stretch the Broncos were giving up a lot of big chunk plays, especially early in games. Like they were giving up opening drive, long touchdown passes, did one to Deontay Johnson. Marquise Brown got behind him. So they just had these weird breakdowns that were kind of atypical of Fangio. They have gotten that they have gotten that cleaned up in a big way. They did give up a 56-yard touchdown pass to Joe Burrow when Tyler Boyd kind of, you know, faked like he was blocking down, kind of emerged from the mud in the middle of the defense and, and came open. But they have just really locked everything down. Uh, Pat Sertan's continued emergence has been a big part of that too Uh, Justin Simmons said this week like I just don't even worry about his side of the field like that's how good he's been and then there's just guys that have stepped up I mean Draymond Jones after a slow start to the year once Miller left uh, I think that opened him up a lot more and you're just getting a lot of young rookie contributors Baron Browning at linebacker is another guy that stepped in and, and given them some solid play there so I just think it's a matter of a lot of guys getting more comfortable in Vic Fangio's system and, and, like you said, becoming the defense that a lot of people thought they would be going into this year.
0: How, how has uh, Bradley Chubb played since uh, coming back? I, I, you know, I don't think you believe he played in the, uh, the first meeting against the
2: Raiders,
0: but you know he, he, he was a, an emerging player. And I was wondering how he's sort of coming back from his injury and, and how he's looked.
2: Yeah, it's been a weird year for him. Obviously, he had arthroscopic ankle surgery in June right before camp began or about a month before camp began, and that kept him out of a good chunk of training camp. He came back in later, but just wasn't quite the same, and then ultimately ended up hurting the other ankle and having to get surgery on that. He had played, I think, a few snaps in week two, and then that was it. Came back after the bye against the Chargers, played about half that game, played closer to a full game against the Chiefs, and then did some good things against the Lions, I thought his game against the Bengals last week was the best that he's looked so far. Didn't get a sack, but had a lot of early pressure on Joe Burrow. You know, he was a big reason that that Burrow wasn't really accurate. Ended up passing for only 157 yards. And so I think it's starting to kind of come around a little bit. But, you know, it's it's again, this is, I think, going to be a season for him that's, uh, you know, it's going to go down as a little bit of a lost season. And the Broncos have a decision to make on Bradley Chubb. You know, the fifth overall pick in 2018, they've already picked up his fifth year option for next season. You know, do they extend him this offseason? Do they they kind of let him play on this fifth-year option and then see what he is? I, I think they'll kind of delay that decision just because he's a guy that just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Missed most of 2019 with that ACL injury. Made the Pro Bowl in 2020, even though he only had seven and a half sacks and ended up missing some games at the end of the year. And then this year has just been another up-and-down thing. So he's going to have to show that he can stay healthy for an extended period of time. It would do him well to kind of get on the sack board uh, these last three games of the season. Starting Sunday.
4: All right. Last question before we get you out of here. The other big decision that is going to be facing George Payton uh, in the next, you know, couple of weeks here is Vic Fangio. I think most Raider fans would probably like him to stick around. Uh, They they've matched up well going against him uh, the last few years. What do you think his status is? I mean, uh, Payton is a first year general manager. You know, he's a GM that takes over in the middle of a head coaching tenure. Seems to get along well with Fangio, but. They're seven and seven. How much of these last three games going to determine Fangio's fate? Or do you think Peyton is in a position where he probably wants to, to get a fresh restart, maybe bring in an offensive type coach?
2: I think Peyton is the guy that is going to use every available data point he can to make this decision. And so that's why I do think that he will go to the end of this year, absorb everything and make the decision probably right after the season. Because there's been that speculation that, hey, maybe, maybe the Broncos get blown out by the Raiders on Sunday um, they're out of the playoff race, and maybe you make that move after that game to get a head start on, on interviewing candidates with the new rules that allow you to do that in the final two weeks of the season. I don't think that will be the case uh, with George Payton. I think, A, as a new general, man, as a new general manager, I, I think you want to show coaches, like, you know, I'm going to give you a fair, a fair shake all the way to the end, and I think that's what he'll do, and then make that decision from there. Can Fangio save his job if he, if he wins out and he either makes the playoffs or is, is right there on the doorstep? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, and it's partly because of what we mentioned in terms of how well this defense plays. There is almost certainly going to be a change of leadership at, at the offensive level. So, if that means uh, a new offensive coordinator, uh, if that ultimately does mean uh, head coach, maybe more geared to the offensive side of the ball, there there will be, I think, wholesale changes in that regard because what they've done over the last you know three seasons has not worked at all. But whether Faggio will be swept up in that, it's anybody's guess. I, I think he's going to have a hard time staying. I, I really do. He's 19 and 27 in his three seasons. Again, I don't see him winning these final three games. And it's going to be hard with that resume with no playoff experience or no playoff burst to really make a strong case. But we're just going to have to kind of see because if they do, if he does make that run, if he's able to do that, then, then Peyton will have something to think about.
4: All right. Well, I think the Raider fans other option is if he doesn't stay is they want Jim Harbaugh as head coach with him coming to Vegas as a defensive coordinator. So uh, maybe that could end up happening. I was
2: going to say, if he is fired from the Broncos, his wait to become a defensive coordinator in the league will be about 12 minutes.
4: All right, Nick, really appreciate it, man. And look forward to seeing what happens on Sunday. All
2: right. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one.
3: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: All right, good
4: insight there from Nick. Uh, let's take some questions now, and we'll start with this one from Guy H. How can the Raiders get out of Corey Littleton's contract after the season? I saw Tashawn's article about the massive cap hit if cut, but traded as well. Yikes! Need to get him and that contract out of town. Makes you miss the days where Reggie McKenzie like never had a contract that would have any guaranteed money past the second year. And obviously, this is the reason for this is. The contract was restructured and a lot of money was kicked down the can. So whenever they do get rid of him, uh, there's going to be dead money. But uh, he's not playing. He's not an impact player on this defense. And he costs a ton of money next year, no matter what you do.
5: Last year, they restructured his contract and they didn't really do anything with the cap space. So i never really understood why, why they did it. <laughs> and then uh, I think they restructured him again this year. I mean, there's really no way to get out of you know, whether they trade him or cut him. Um, it'll be 14 million, I believe, before June 1st next year. And then if they wait till after June 1st, they get money kicked down of 2023. So that'd be even worse. So if you're going to move on from, them, you just have to eat that 14 million. Um, but I mean, they, they ate eight figures to get rid of Rodney Hudson, who was still, was still a good player and, and has still been a good player when he's healthy this season. So they'll get rid of a good player and eat that much money. I don't see why they, they wouldn't get rid of somebody who struggled for them. Even if they're going to eat that much money, especially since you know they they do have a lot of cap room and, and they have ways, other ways throughout their roster to free up cap space to kind of balance that out. So it's still not the best thing in the world, but it wouldn't hit as hard as it probably sounds to to move on from him. If you know they're confident in Diablo and what they've seen from him, you know potentially bringing Perriman back, who's on a one year deal, and kind of banking that they can Perriman's a two year oh, He's on two year. He, he signed okay. he signed oh. a two year deal with the Panthers, so they. Okay, yeah, I think what is the second year is nine guaranteed or something like that, right? I think it was so, a, anyway. like,
4: a, wasn't it like a two-year, $6 million deal. It's a pretty cheap deal. Yeah, so,
5: you know, with all of that, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, I mean, not just Littleton, but also Kwiatkowski. I mean, he's, you know, when, when healthy, he's basically been a special teams player this year, and he'd be on the books for like $7 million next year, so... Those two guys, you know, when they signed, it was kind of like, I mean, that was when I first got on this beat. It was kind of like, oh, the Raiders finally have linebackers again for the first time And whoever long. Yeah. I had
1: a parade. I threw a parade. I had a parade down uh, Raiders Boulevard. I was like, they like to get some linebackers.
5: Yeah, but now they're both special teams players and, and making probably about $20 million combined. Yeah, I think they're, they're both probably playing on different teams next year.
4: It's all good, though. They've got, they've got a Pro Bowl linebacker who's making special teamer money, though.
1: It's clear this staff, this defensive staff is not high on those two guys. I think the only way they're back is if they, you know, do a whole new reboot and a new staff comes in, new jam, whatever. And you know, those guys are something to like Littleton and Kriakowski. But right now, I think it's clear that they have no problems playing younger guys and getting rid of that caps, you know, that cap hit. I and mean, obviously, but they take the hit, but, uh, getting rid of those guys next year.
4: All right. Question from CJM. What's the deal with Brian Edwards? He shows flashes of being unstoppable and then disappears for a few quarters. How does he take the next step and establish himself as a legit wide receiver one slash two? I think we can eliminate the, the thought of him ever being a wide receiver one. He just, if you're going to be that someday, you're going to show something by the end of year two. And is it just, he doesn't have enough foot speed. I mean, he, he doesn't have enough speed to, to get the separation and you can make some of those contested catches, but that he, he's not going to ever really get open enough.
5: It's a combination of like, he has like average, maybe above average, maybe speed, I would say, but like his route running is just, Whatever, and so like I mean, if you're a bigger guy, um, you know, height and, and size-wise, um, you're not that fast, and you, and you aren't, you can't run routes that well. I mean, you're basically just a jump ball guy at that point, which is what we've seen. I mean, you know, when he gets all the training camp hype, it's just because he's like dunking on cornerbacks and safeties on on these long go balls, and that's basically. What he does when it when it comes to the actual game, I mean, he's he's made some plays in space, like the, the Ravens game. I remember it over time. You know, he he, he made some nice plays, but and some yard uh, run after the catch ability. But uh, I just don't think he's a very complete receiver at this stage of his career.
0: He doesn't create a lot of separation. Uh, his change of direction ha- you know, hasn't been that good. Like Sean said, he he has to really make some huge improvements in his route running to be considered a wide receiver two. Yeah, I don't see him as a, a wide receiver one. But, you know, I think if you do pair him with a good wide receiver that could draw coverage away, he can be productive, but he's, he's going to have to do some major work with his route running in the off season.
1: Well, to me, the biggest issue is he's not reliable. I think he's had a lot of drops and, and balls off his hands this year and some really big moments. I think I'm trying to think back. I think one was a game decider, if I can't recall correctly. So I think... Obviously he's a young guy, he's working on some kinks and the route running is not where he want to be and he doesn't have explosive speed, but to me, he's had chances to make plays this year and he's made some, but more than a few occasions he's not and those are the ones I think really, to me, uh, give me concern about uh, his, you know, his ceiling uh, going forward.
5: We can let go of the, the Terrell Owens and Randy Moss comparisons that we were getting at the start of this year.
4: Question here from Marcus W. and I'm combining it with one from uh, Shashi J., um, as Malcolm Koontz, two sacks in two games, and then 16 snaps. Why is Gus not giving the youngster a chance? Koontz, Hobbs, and Diablo save Mayock's job. Kuntz looks very promising in his first game. Why didn't he get to play against the Browns? And are they going to keep him on the bench short of injuries? Don't they need to see what they have in him, especially since he was more of an asset versus a liability and is one showing, I don't get this coaching staff. And I think part of it too is is Carl Nassib did make his return and you know Carl's their number three pass rusher and and you know when he was back they were gonna give him that role again.
5: Yeah, I mean like they were also going against you know third string quarterback like we knew the Browns they're throwing the ball like they're they're running the ball and like Malcolm Kuntz you know he's like six two two fifty he's not a run stopper at this point in his career. Uh, I mean shit even at the end of the game on that last drive where they got the stop to, to set the game winner Cleveland Farrell was, was in the game over unique and away for the entire drive so. They, they were clearly prioritizing, stopping the run. Like, you know, Max Crosby, I think he played, like, his third fewest snaps of the season. You know, it was one of his games where he played the, the least. So it, it was pretty much every pass guy that was, like, a specialized kind of pass rusher type played less this game, and they gave more snaps to, to Farrell and Nassib. And so I think it was more of a kind of a result of, you know, what they were trying to stop that game and anything against Klumps. But also, I mean, you know, I mean, they do have Crosby and Ngakwe, who've been two of the better pass rushers in the league this season. So I don't think you're necessarily like taking away a significant chunk from those guys just to see what you have out of this this third round rookie.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think they should, Definitely try to prioritize getting him more snaps down the final stretch, especially if and when they get officially limited from the playoffs. If they lose one more game, it's time to get him more snaps. But uh, I can understand them wanting to get Nassib in there, uh, especially you know Cleveland's where he started his career. So for him, it was probably a big deal to be back there playing in Cleveland. So uh, I can imagine wanting to get him involved and, and whatnot. But all right. Last question here from Jeff S. Are the Raiders the worst coach team in the league? Fourth down decision making is brutal. Penalties remain an issue, not to mention moments like when Versace didn't call timeout to avoid a delay game and goal to go. Also seems like the game plan itself is typically mediocre. Makes sense in the wake of losing Gruden, who is also the OC, and replacing him with a never-head coach, but woof. Ed Sports, uh, which does their coach ratings, does not rate them very highly, uh, does not rate Versace very highly. I haven't checked their, their most recent exact ratings, but he, he's been like in the bottom three, I think, most of the way since he took over.
5: The worst seems strong. I mean, I know Urban Meyer isn't employed anymore, but like I don't think Joe Judge is a very good coach. I think I'd probably he's he's up there for he me.
4: He beat Passagia um, though.
5: Yeah, but he's still Joe Judge. So like I, I think plus, you know, besides, he's a, he's an interim guy. I, I think the you know I don't, I don't think the Raiders overall coaching staff, like when you, when you factor in if they're just talking head coach, then I mean yeah, they have an interim guy. But I think they have like a you know, okay coaching staff. I wouldn't say worse. I think Fans get a
1: little emotional sometimes. I think mean, Gruden lost his last two games, so I mean, obviously I think he, he didn't leave on, on a high note. This team wasn't, like, really um, running that well, and he left. They got a little boost from the new staff, but I, um, I'm not going to agree. I think definitely the staff has had some issues. I know they um, – I don't know. I mean, I think they, they look at this, uh, the talent in this roster. Maybe they think the talent's not quite there yet where they can really make a difference, but um, I think they've definitely been on the conservative side, which um, – Again, maybe because of the talent, At least they think they don't have the talent to take a lot of chances. So um, it's tough to say. I, I don't. I don't believe uh, the staff will be back. So I think I don't want to kick them all down. So I think we'll see what happens this weekend. But um, I think a lot of the criticisms are 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 warranted. Game management's been pretty terrible. Um, like that,
0: you know, the person asked the question said as far as fourth down decisions, some clock management stuff just very outdated, very conservative and predictable. The offense has taken a huge huge hit from a schematic standpoint ever since Gruden fired. I mean, you know, Gruden had his shortcomings when it came to like short yardage play calling and certain philosophical things that I didn't quite agree with, but you know, when you watch him, watch an offense, it was really creative with his play designs and you know, I just didn't haven't seen much of that since he he's left, so the staff's not great. You know, I, I still think Gus Bradley has done a pretty good job with this defense um, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he kind of just sticks with what what he does, and that's exactly what uh, Patrick Mahomes really you know thrives against. So I don't know if they're the worst, but it, it definitely not, hasn't been good overall.
1: When you can't run the ball and you can't stop the run, I think it is hard to coach them to a, a certain level. But uh, again, they have made mistakes, so I just think it's. Uh, I guess enough blame to go around the whole, the whole building.
4: You know, it's funny when you talk, when you talk about like the fourth down decision-making is like, I mean, I, I don't like their fourth down decision-making either, but like this past week in the NFL, everybody has always loves like, go for it. You know, go for fourth down, go for two. And this week, Everyone's killing Brandon Staley with the Chargers for going for it on fourth down too much. And everyone's killing uh, John Harbaugh with the Ravens for going for two and going for the win. So it's like, it all comes down to like, can you execute? Can you do what you, you know, can you get it done? I mean, it, the results are what matters. And, you know, we kill people for the decisions and like, we want everybody to be aggressive. But then suddenly when, when teams, when coaches go over aggressive and it backfires, ah, what the hell are they doing? They, they cost us the game. They lost it for us. I don't know. I agree
0: with
1: what Staley did. It's the best coaching staff in the league on uh, on fake punts. You can't stop the Raiders on fake punts, so give give the staff. That's care why for those. Dallin
4: Levitt's here, man. That's, That's why Dallin bad. Levitt yeah. will stay
1: on the roster for the next ten years. Give them the flowers for that. I mean, they definitely they dominate on uh, on the situations.
4: You know, I don't know. Seahawks got a seventy-yard touchdown on a fake punt. Ra- Raiders get like three, four yards. They get they get their first down. So their second, second best, best coaching second best
1: staff. Time. My bad. My bad. My bad.
4: Prediction time. Raiders Broncos Sunday. Your post Christmas. Holiday game. What uh? What are you guys all? Let's be good. Uh, we
1: got one Drew Locke homer and one uh, Tim Patrick homer. See what they got here. I am looking, looking forward to this. Let's see what they Dude, got. Ted
4: Ted was so quick to get to Tim Patrick talk with Nick earlier. It was uh.
5: Yeah, you had to sit that in there. Like I said, like like Nick was saying earlier, I wish I just I just could see at least practice today, see who's out there. In terms, of, it just makes nailing down a score. I think the Raiders will win. My score, you guys might have to check in on Friday with the observations column when I see if Waller is going to be out there, et cetera. It's kind of hard to pin down a, a score, but I think the Raiders win this one. I, I just think Drew Locke isn't a good NFL quarterback, you know, like Nick Mullins last week. And I think the Broncos, they, they'll probably try to, they've been a pretty solid rushing team, so they'll probably try to take that similar approach as the Browns did. I think the Raiders did surprise me last week with how how well they did stop the run, you know, so if they are able to have that carryover to this week and, and kind of maybe not completely shut down the Broncos on the ground, but contain them enough to where you're, you're making Drew Locke have to make plays that opens the door for him to, to make those turnovers that he's been adept at, at doing throughout his NFL career. And the offense, I mean, I don't I don't really expect much out of the Raiders' offense at this point in the year, given what they've shown us, but I don't think they'll have to do a whole lot in, in order to pull this one out.
0: If Darren Walter pl- pl- plays, I think they win this game. But assuming he doesn't play, I think, They're going to have a really, really tough time moving the ball on this Broncos defense, which has been just playing lights out. So I think the Broncos win this game 20 to 13.
4: I'm going to go Raiders. I'm going to say they get a defensive touchdown. Thanks to Drew Locke. Uh, Locke throws two picks. And I'm going to go with uh, they, they can they extend their streak to four straight games of beating the Broncos and four straight games of scoring more than 30 or more points against the Broncos. Thirty to twenty one Raiders with a defensive touchdown in there.
1: I think we're split. I got the uh, Broncos winning 24 twenty four twenty. I just don't have any faith in the offense. The defense I think um they could make some play. I didn't we need to see Perriman. I think Perriman definitely is a key guy. And then is also key, but Perriman be huge for them to bring him back this week, I think, uh for this game. But um yeah, I just don't uh I don't have a lot of faith. that, that game last week I mean, they barely beat a team that was without 18 players and had Nicky uh, Mullins, who I know he beat the Raiders way back, but he's terrible. So I just think that's, that's a just win, baby. But that was not a great Just stay win. relevant, baby. Uh, just stay relevant, baby. But that win did not give me a lot of uh, confidence in their chances on Sunday because I think they uh, they very almost lost that game. That been a really, uh, a really ugly loss. So uh, I think the Broncos are probably just a better team at this point.
5: Yeah, reserve the judgment and Waller and, and Pyramid and, and Hobbs end up being out. I, I might change my mind by Friday. We'll see it. All right, guys.
4: Well, that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We'll be back on Sunday. Uh, hope everybody has a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, uh, enjoy the week, and, uh, you know, hey, you're relevant going into uh... – Week sixteen, so uh, we'll we'll see what happens.
1: There. It could be worse. It could be not relevant. That would suck. So relevant, <laughs> wow.
4: Hey, we I mean, know. only only five teams in the NFL are, are irrelevant at this point. So uh, it's if you're one of those five irrelevant teams, that's pretty bad. So yeah, they're,
1: they're miserable. So there you go. You're not miserable. So congrats. It's good.
4: <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you on Sunday.
1: Happy holidays.
0: To stay relevant, baby.